Hello everyone, this is Billy Compton, pastor of Mulder Hill Baptist Church, 4430 Highway 289, Lebanon, Kentucky. We're grateful for the opportunity to maybe come into your home, come into your room in some facility, uh, wherever. We're glad to be able to share God's Word with you and the encouragement that we find each week by worshiping together here at Mulder Hill Baptist Church. Today, uh, I want to do the second part, actually the last part of a sermon series that I started uh, three weeks ago called Baggage. And I know the first sermon, let me just go back a little bit. I brought my duffel bag that I bring uh, with me when I'm traveling at different times. And I just put things in there that I didn't really need to carry in order to travel light and free. And so the whole message was about having the opportunity, as the book of Ephesians says, to unload some things uh, out of our baggage in life that keeps us from living free and light. And so today I want to, in this time of pandemic 2020 and even into 2021, there's been so much, so much anxiety and stress and so much uh, uh, apprehension on people's lives that I thought, you know, surely the Bible has something to say about us unloading that kind of baggage that we carry. Actually, I have this T-shirt that I wear to the gym to work out in. It says, Faith Over Fear. And it's not that Christians don't have fear because on my shirt, if I want to warn it here in this service, it says faith and then it has fear at the bottom, but fear's turned upside down. The point being that all of us as human beings have some level of fears. Matter of fact, the Bible says the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. Well, that's a healthy respect and honor of who God is as the creator and sustainer of the universe. And it's wise for us, discerning of us, to be able to have that kind of respect and honor for God. So it's not a fear, however, that creates uh, a stressful factor in our life. So that's a good kind of fear. But the faith over fear is that our faith allows us on the journey of life to process our fears in such a way that it doesn't become undue baggage upon us. So what I want to do is take us to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah was speaking to a group that was in exile because of the Babylonians. They'd been stressed out. But just God, the, God had used the prophets saying, look, I know this is a stressful time. I know this is time when you're feeling exiled from your home. I know that you feel like maybe things are never going to come together again. But I want you to know God has a purposeful design and his perspective is much larger than you could ever know. And so here's what he says to those who are stressed and anxious and apprehensive as he prophesies to them as the helper of Israel. He says in Isaiah 41.10, he says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Now he speaks to the enemies of Israel. He said, those who rage against you will surely be ashamed and disgraced. And those who oppose you will be nothing eventually. Though you search for your enemies, you won't find them. Those who wage against you will be nothing at all. Now listen to this. For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear. 
Now, that's God's word in a prophecy. And then in the last phrase of this, he says, do not fear, I will help you. So what is the antidote to fear? Well, first of all, we have to kind of recognize the things that we fear. We can't deal with something if we don't acknowledge that it's in front of us. So what I did, my family teases me because I'm so much on Facebook. So what I decided to do to reach out to my Facebook family and to ask them, what is your, at one simple question, what is your greatest fear? Okay? I had all probably 140 responses. As a matter of fact, uh, they're still coming in as people click on my Facebook post. But as I post that, I said, okay, one question to my friends, and let me back up. Not all of them are personal friends. Some of them obviously are just connections. Some of them are just contact, maybe even a few critics. I don't know. Maybe not. I don't know. Surely not. But I asked this simple question. And all these people responded. And what I realized, there were two categories of fears that people were giving me. Uh, one was an irrational kind of fear, like I have ornithophobia, the fear of birds. I thought I'd outgrow it growing up on the farm. Not so. I'm still afraid of birds. Now, don't ask me the difference between a feathered bird and a duck. Ducks don't cause fear. They don't arouse my phobia like a bird does. But anyway, point being is, that's an irrational fear. I, I know a bird's not going to bother me, the, you know, but I'll, it's something about it. It creates an anxiety in my life. Uh, it's interesting what some other people listed as what I would call irrational fears. People mentioned uh, worms, wasps, bumblebees. Um, by the way, my son-in-law last night told me he's just starting a bee farm. I said, well, I don't need to know about the bees. I don't need you to buy me a hood or a screen to go down and check out your bee hive. All I need is the honey. That's what I'm waiting for. But you see, he's not going to be worrying about that. But there are people on Facebook said, anything like a bee or a wasp or a bumblebee, I am totally out of here. And so there are things like that that uh, we would call irrational fear. I mean, Spiders, snakes, worms. You know, fishing worms are not going to bother you, but some people couldn't touch a worm, couldn't get close to it. <laughs> Matter of fact, I got to say this. One of my friends who is outside even the United States, he got on my Facebook and he said, okay, here's, here's the thing that I'm most afraid of, that the pastor is going to get up in front of the whole church and call out my name someday. And, uh, of course, then he sent back another message saying that really he was a afraid of certain things in life. But then I found another category, which I would call not irrational fears, but reality fears. Uh, a person sent me this, a, a lawyer friend. He said, the fear of facing eternity and knowing it may be infinity. Wow, that's pretty deep thinking. Some said, I fear losing my vision. Another person wrote, being alone without family or friends. Another said, actually, being responsible for my whole life without others around me. Another person said, dementia, my body outliving my mind. We all know about the dreaded disease of Alzheimer's. Losing a child was one of the categories that was listed multiple times. People like myself said something happening to my grandchildren. I, I, that would be my greatest fear. And thinking about, some person wrote, not being successful. Wow, in our world where there's pressure to rise to the top, you know, to be on the top shelf, to always get a blue ribbon. Listen, 
I've got several trophies in my basement where I've participated um, in basketball and competitions and things like that. And all my trophies, you know, all my ribbons say participant or uh, most improved. <laughs> I mean, I don't have many blue ribbons. But most people feel this pressure to be successful, losing my parents, facing uh, falling down a long set of stairs. I found that more than once mentioned. Drowning, a lot of people afraid of water. Uh, staying by myself at night. I have a, a person who put it on there saying, I'm facing probably living alone since my uh, spouse is not going to live long with a terminal disease. And so I'm finding myself praying Mark 9, 24. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And I thought that was very revealing. Uh, losing my family to COVID-19. Hey, been there, experienced that, and it is a fearful time. And people are still afraid of that. Even in the time of vaccinations, we're praying and hoping that it creates this herd immunity that people are going to feel safer. People wrote suffering. Uh, one teacher, though, I, I will say this for all you teachers. One teacher, a friend of mine who, who's been retired for a long time, he said, after teaching at blank, and I'll leave out the school, but he taught high school for well over 25 years. He said, after teaching at Blank High School for over 25 years, I don't fear anything. Uh, obviously, a little tongue-in-cheek. But I got to tell you, there are some folks who wrote some heart-touching things about reality fears. Even irrational fears are real for those of us who have them. But maybe they don't change the total destiny of our lives because we can avoid most of those. But one uh, friend of mine from another state wrote, and I'll just quote, it used to be my greatest fear of losing one of my children. But that horrible nightmare happened, and God taught me to realize my greatest fear was that my children would die and not know the Lord Jesus. Thanks to Jesus and me and my husband, we planted seeds in my son's life and I have the assurance that my son is now at home with the Lord. But I have to admit, one of my fears is for other people that I know who do not know Jesus. There are a lot of people who face death, uh, losing eyesight, very real fears. Well, for Israel, when Isaiah prophesied, it was a very real fear because they were in exile. They were captive to Babylonians. They had this hope of returning home. Listen, here's what I want to say. If there's anything I understand about what the prophet was saying, is that God is aware of our tendency to fear. And he cares about every fear that we face. I believe even our phobias. As a matter of fact, we find encouragement to not feel fear and to take courage like uh, Isaiah 41.10 does over 300 times in the Bible. So obviously God knows as human beings our weakness to fear. Now, again, I'm talking about a fear that's a, a real fear or an irrational fear, but one that creates such an anxiety in our lives that it pulls us. See, God doesn't want us to be consumed by our fear, and yet our fears do not surprise God. And that's why we need to realize that God is not disappointed just because I'm afraid of birds. I mean, He doesn't disrespect me because of that. He doesn't delete me off of his encouragement page because I, I have an issue with that. You see, no more than you're disappointed when one of your children are afraid. 
if your child is afraid, then what is a natural for a compassionate, caring parent? It's to embrace them, to encourage them. As a matter of fact, my son woke me up when he was probably seventh or eighth grade uh, with a very uh, sharp pain in his side. And I thought, oh, well, you know, maybe he ate too much pizza. Go back to bed. You'll be fine. Uh, and he did. And then about two hours later, he got me up again. He Dad, man, I'm really hurting. And I said, okay, we should go to the emergency room probably and see what's going on. Obviously, we did. Well, a couple things I did right about that. One is to load him up and take him on to the emergency room because he was having acute appendicitis. And, and that was the right thing to do. The right thing was to listen to him. The mistake I made in that, though, was not waking his mom and taking her with us because the doctor came in to me uh, early that morning. This was about 3 in the morning we got there. About 6 in the morning, the surgeon came in and said, yeah, we need to operate on, on Will. Uh, and I've got about a 30-minute window that I can take him in now. Otherwise, I'm going to have to wait a couple hours for the surgery room. And so I made the quick decision to do it now. As a matter of fact, Will and I made it together. But, but his mom wasn't there. And uh, once it was over, and I called, you mean my son had surgery and I wasn't even there? And I said, blame it on Dr. Moss. He's the one that gave us that schedule. But anyway, my point being, I wasn't disappointed in my son because he was hurting and he didn't want to go to surgery, but he knew he needed to go to surgery. So I said to him, being the pastor father that I am, I said, hey, Will, they let me walk into the, actually where the nurses were prepping him for surgery, you know, they let me stand there beside the bed while they were hooking him up. And I said, hey, Will, you think we ought to say a prayer? And he said, no, nah, I'll be okay, Dad. In about 30 seconds, he looked at me. I was big brown eyes. He said, no, nah, maybe we'd better pray. You know, fear sometimes, it didn't cause me to be disappointed in my son because he felt like he needed some encouragement of prayer and me standing by his uh, bed as he was getting rolled into surgery because this was a big deal. You know, God looks at our lives and he sees uh, maybe it is surgery or maybe, uh, you know, the child has just had a bad dream, you know, and you go in and you try to encourage them. You don't, you don't get upset with them. I mean, um, eventually probably children outgrow those kind of fears. But the point being, God encourages us not to fear because he wants us to trust in his presence, knowing that like a parent that cares for the child, he cares for us. And that's why, if you'll notice what this passage says, he says, fear not, for I will be with you. Is that what he said? Personal, personal. He says, so do not fear, for I am with you, and be not dismayed. Now, dismayed is to lose perspective. In other words, you can have real fear, but don't be dismayed by thinking that fear is all there is that you've got to deal with because God is listening and he's going to be working on our behalf. So that says something about not only God's presence, but our relationship to God. You see, that's the thing that God finds that he wants to draw us close even in those moments so that our relationship with him will be significant. As a matter of fact, there's, if you look at the second part of that verse, I wrote it out here. Uh, he says, I am your God, the second part of that verse. And here's what I wrote down. These words imply that I will have a reverence for God, that I will seek to be obedient to God, and I will submit even my apprehension to God. 
That's my part. Okay? But his part as a father, as a guardian, as a blessing is to do what? Is to take care of that which is his own. That's why he said it's important to affirm his presence, but even more significant to embrace the relationship that you have with God. And that's why he says in these words, Behold, I say to you, do not fear, for I am with you. And don't lose perspective. Why? Because I am your God. And that implies, you know, by the way, you know, those things that are our own, we have more attention to. I mean, you know, if you pull up your car in the parking lot and, uh, you know, you you got your car clean and waxed and shiny and you, you may look around and think, you know, I'm not going to pull up to that, to that car because I can tell right now when they open their door, they're going to slam it against my door. But I don't go around through everybody else's parking lot and say, you know, you know, they might open the door and dent your car. Well, if it's my car, you know, because I own that car, then I have more attention to it. Think about this. God is saying, listen, uh, because you are a person created in my image, and because I promise you, I will not disregard you, nor will I uh, push you aside because of fear. Rather, I will embrace you. I will be a powerful, wise, and loving God. I am with you. I will, uh, I will be a guardian to you. And, and since you are in my family... You can know of my specific attention. He says, that's a part of his presence and a part of our relationship with him. Which leads me to say, you know, fear causes us to forget the promises of God. Matter of fact, sometimes fear causes us to do stupid things. You know, I was this in my, my grandfather, bless her heart. She's been in heaven a long time now, but uh, Sue Ann and I were visiting along with my mom uh, in her little square block house uh, in an area of Barron County once. And we were sitting there, and she just had four little rooms in that house and a little bathroom. And, uh, but there was a, we were, we were kind of sitting uh, around with the, and uh, some guy came through blowing his horn and said, there's a tornado warning, there's a tornado warning, y'all ought to take cover. And uh, so I ran out on the porch, <coughs> excuse me, and another guy came by and said, tornado warning and I, I just saw it coming over the hill take cover so we all gathered up ran outside ran around the back because my grandmother had a little you know the house was kind of sloped kind of like a walkout basement wasn't really underground but it was lower than the house so we all ran around there we got under uh, we got in that part of the house and the winds blew and the thunder rolled and the lightning flashed and the rain came down and then it was all over and we looked around, and we had left a part of the house that probably if we'd have gone into the bathroom been the safest part of the house, and gone outside, gone under what we thought was a safe, and looked around, and my grandmother, who canned all summer, had put all of her empty ball fruit jars on shelves, and they were all around us. <laughs> if the tornado would have hit that house, We'd have been covered in glass. He's, because fear causes us to run to the wrong place sometimes. And so 
God is saying, don't run to the wrong place. Don't run to power or possessions or pleasures or things that you think might deal with your fear. No, you run to the promises of God. And here's, you say, well, what are the promises of God? Well, right here. He says, I will strengthen you. He says, that's, that's my, when, you're, when your enemies rage against you, I am the Lord your God who will take hold of your right hand. He says, I will strengthen you. Basically, he says, I will uphold you. He says, I will help you as well as uphold you. Um, so, what does God promise us? He says that he will take hold of our right hand. You know, that implies that sometimes you're going to cross the street when it's dangerous with a child. But as a caring person with your presence and the relationship to that child, you're going to promise to hold on and walk them across the street. And so God says, I will take your hand because I do have a perspective on what this fear is. Um, I read the story of Ann Peterson. Ann Peterson actually had written an article uh, for Crosswalk and she dealt with this very passage and she s talked about her granddaughter uh, who was born with trisomy, which is a uh, very deadly disease of all kinds of illnesses that may create with birth defects and sometimes a child even it, it doesn't live to experience birth. And so the doctors came and they described to this family how difficult this would be. And, uh, but as a family, they were trusting God and they were scared. They were anxious. They were apprehensive. But as she describes it, they put this in God's hands. They claimed his promises. And the little girl was born. And they all rejoiced. And they, they said, you know, she said, it was the greatest accomplishment the day that my granddaughter, and she called her name, could take a drink by herself out of her sippy cup. And then she said, it was the most amazing thing to enjoy her presence for the 14 months that she lived. Um, so someone had to claim the promises of God because his picture was bigger than anyone else's. Because in this moment, as she describes it, they had to trust God that he was working, that he was evident, and that even though she only lived 14 months, they said, we would never trade any memories for that journey we took with God and our granddaughter. Listen, maybe that's why Peter, when he was old and ready to retire and maybe even seeing the end of his life, he wrote the book of 1 Peter. He wasn't a young man when he wrote these words, but here's what he said. 1 Peter chapter 5. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, so he can lift you up. Cast your anxiety on him because he does care for you. And remember, the God of all grace who called you into eternal glory in Christ Jesus, 
even after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you, make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be power and glory forever. If you look up the word antidote in Webster's Dictionary, you'll find that it means uh, a remedy that controls the effect of a poison. So I'm saying the antidote to fear, a remedy that does not remove our frail thoughts and apprehensions. But the antidote to fear is God's presence, God's relationship, and God's promise. So remember, God's promise never leaves you. Remember, He is never surprised by your circumstances. Remember, God is and will still work through me and you in our fears, rational and real. And remind yourself that God has stood with you in the past and He will stand with you in the future. Let's pray. God, we thank You today that on those occasions when we find ourselves most anxious and apprehensive, that uh, we can bring our fears before You. Sometimes we are still afraid. But I pray, God, that You'd keep reminding us of all the wonderful things You have done and will continue to do. Remind us of all the times You have been with us, even when life got hard. God, we ask that we may be mindful of Your constant love in the midst of our doubts, our anxieties. We're grateful for Your patience and Your tender mercies like a parent who is patient with their child. And Lord, thank you for your promise to be with us. And we embrace your presence, our relationship, and your promises. In the name of Christ our Lord, I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you'd like to uh, uh, be a part of our church and help sustain this ministry, if you'd like to give some offering or write to us uh, a word of encouragement or a prayer request, you can send that to Montreal Hill Baptist Church, 4430 Highway 289, Lebanon, Kentucky. And we'll be glad to respond to you, pray for you, and encourage you in any way that we can. So may God bless you until we meet again.